Proverbs 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's a privilege to open up God's Word to you this morning. I'd like you to imagine Proverbs chapter 5 as a scene where a father is taking his son on a walk to talk about the birds and the bees, the facts of life. As a father of five sons, I've done this five times. I'm not sure how successfully, but I tried. And this father wants his son, or sons in one of the verses, to understand and appreciate what God has to say about sex. This dad wisely wants to do two things for his son. He wants to warn him against sexual immorality, and he wants to teach him that there is the gift of sexual enjoyment in the context, only in the context, of the marriage of one man and one woman. This is the big picture of God's wisdom about sex and marriage. Now, perhaps at this point, you have two questions. One is, where does this leave those who are not married? The widowers, the divorced, where does this leave 
the girls and the women if this is a father talking to a son? Well, good question. But we believe that all of Scripture is profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, training in righteousness, and so forth, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. And so if you'll just hang in there, I think you will find that there's plenty of application for everyone because really when God is talking about sex, He's actually talking about something deeper and more eternal that applies to every one of us. The second question, and John alluded to this already, is if your parents and your children are sitting next to you and you're glad this isn't the fifth Sunday of the month and all the kids are here, you're wondering if this sermon is rated PG, PG PG-13, or what? Well, let me, I'll reiterate with John, praise God that God's Word is not embarrassed about sex because God has created this wonderful gift. He's created us male and female in an amazing way to enjoy each other in the proper context, and He gets the glory in that. In fact, He's saying, I've made sex to be part of this wonderful covenant of companionship relationship called marriage that you can get a little foretaste of the eternal pleasures that will be for all who trust in Jesus Christ. So, I want to raise three questions in the book of Proverbs. The first one is, who will you listen to about sex? Who are you listening to about sex? Verses 1 to 14. And I would say in this passage, there are only two voices speaking. Will you listen to God's fatherly wisdom, verses 1 and 2. Will you listen to the godly wisdom of your heavenly Father on this, mission, on this issue? Or will you listen to an imposter's alluring lies? An imposter's alluring lies, verse 3 and following. Here's the opening presentation. And if you've ever been in a courtroom, if you've served on jury duty, as I did a few months ago, in the beginning of that court, as the session is open, the judge says the prosecution and the defense will make opening presentations, opening arguments, and they give an overview of what they're going to try to convince the jury of. And so it is in the opening verses of Proverbs chapter 5. First, we have God and his fatherly wisdom making his case, and then we have this imposter making her case with her alluring lies. And I'm using the term imposter here to refer to this woman who is referred to as the forbidden woman, the strange woman, or the NIV talks about the adulteress. However you translate it, she's not the real thing. She looks close. But she's a counterfeit. She's an imposter. And in that, she is a puppet of the master imposter, Satan himself, right? The father of lies. Satan who can appear as an angel of light that you are tempted to worship and bow down to. But they're, give, they're both giving you alluring lies. So an opening argument from 
the father who has godly wisdom or an imposter who is feeding you alluring lies. You know, it's interesting that if we go all the way to the end of the Bible and we come to Revelation chapter 17, we find another imposter. And she's also an adulteress. She's a prostitute. In fact, she's called the whore of Babylon. And this imposter who's seeking to steal the soul of a young man in Proverbs 5 is just one indication of the prostitute of Babylon that is seeking to win and lure the souls of the whole world through a false system that says, I can give you what you want if you will come and give your soul to me. And so, really, what we're dealing in Proverbs 5, it finds fulfillment in Revelation 17. And, of course, that great prostitute is overthrown and God gets all the glory and showing that His kingdom and not the kingdom of the world is the real thing. So, think about an imposter on the sexual level, spiritual level, and even the cosmic battle in the world. Well, so we have God's fatherly wisdom. And God's fatherly wisdom requires focus, attention, and your willingness to listen to Him diligently. God's fatherly wisdom requires your diligent listening, attention, and it requires hard work. And right now you're saying, I'm tuning out. You know, You've been doing things this weekend, and now you've got to listen to this guy for 30 minutes, and he doesn't have any magic tricks or anything else. He doesn't have any fancy PowerPoint, just screen. It takes effort, doesn't it? But if you look at Proverbs 5, what do you see repeated? Listen, my son. Pay attention. Heed this warning. Look closely. Follow me. And so God's fatherly wisdom from a father to a son, from God the Father to each of us, requires discipline to submit to its teachings, its warnings, its view of reality. It takes dying to self. It takes reining in that imagination and saying, I'm going to pay attention to what God's Word is telling me about this matter of sex and marriage and relationships. Notice that this repetition in Proverbs 5 is deliberate because, and I think this is something you might want to write down, a major part of godliness lies in a stubbornly determined attentiveness, a stubbornly determined attentiveness to God's familiar truth. A major part of godliness lies in a stubbornly determined attentiveness to God's familiar truth. How many times have you heard someone say, and I'm going to preach on or teach on, you say, oh, I know that passage. Somebody preached on that last week, and you tune, or I know that. And God says, I know you know it, but are you paying attention? Are you listening to that? You know, those of you who are parents, and you tell your kid, especially a teenager, yeah, 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 I know that, I know that. No, do you really get what I'm saying? And so God repeats it. Listen, pay attention, 
What I'm saying is life and death here. And so God says, you need to desire wisdom. You need to hold on to it. Just as in a marriage, you hold on to your spouse, your covenant companion. Now, you're saying, Lou, that takes a lot of work. You know, I'm not sure I'm up for that. Well, we know that God gives grace. He never gives a command unless he gives the grace to follow that command. Hallelujah. We, we, at Trinity, we, we don't have it in us. It's God, the one who works in us, but he works in us so that we can stubbornly, determinedly pay attention and follow in the way of the Lord. This is not a matter of let go and let God. When it comes to sex, we've got to be focused on God's wisdom. So that's the one side, God's fatherly wisdom. On the other hand, you have the imposter's alluring lies. And guess what? They require no effort from you at all. Nothing from you. Just look at her and she'll flatter your ego. Her speech will win you over. Notice in verse 3 that it's her speech and her lips that draw you in. And I know we live in a visual society, and yes, she has womanly charms to allure you and draw you in, but it's interesting that the picture here and also in Proverbs 7, where you pick up this picture again, it's more what the woman says to the man than what she presents herself physically. And men, you understand this. You know what it's like when maybe things are a little rough at home or you're feeling lonely or you're feeling like I'm not doing a whole lot that makes sense. And there's some woman in the office or a neighbor or a church who just says things to you that make you feel so important and so welcomed and like, yeah, I count for something. A woman's flattery can go a long way to massaging the ego of a man. And before he knows it, he is drawn in. All the wisdom that he's been paying attention to, he's been focused on, he just heard a sermon on Proverbs 5, it seems to go out the window the next day when a woman's smooth talk, her flattering compliments, build up the ego of a man. He says, oh, yeah, I'm not getting this at home. I'm feeling really good. And he's following in that way. Do you remember what it says in Proverbs 7, 21 to 22? With much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her mouth, a smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once, he follows her. He can be putty in her hand. Now, it's been said that a man thinks every woman can fulfill his one desire. Every woman can fulfill his one desire. That's what some men think. And the women think that one man can fulfill her every desire. And Satan causes us to buy into these lies. Again, the father says, son... You're going to have to pay attention. You're going to have to be diligent. You're going to have to die to self to follow the way of life in the good gift of sex I'm giving you. 
And the imposter says, it doesn't take any effort at all. I can just allure you and feed you lies, and you'll just go like an ox to the slaughter. So based on these two initial opening presentations, it's easy to see the way that you might be persuaded to go, to listen to the imposter, to get sucked in by her persuasive lips as well as her persuasive hips. Especially men, especially men, if things are stressful in your marriage. Especially men, if you are single and you feel like, I don't have a sexual outlet. Especially if the woman of your dreams is just a few clicks away on your laptop or your cell phone. Right? You know what I'm talking about. The alluring lies seem so inviting. But let's consider at the end of the court case the final verdict. The final verdict. It's one thing to hear the witnesses, to hear evidence, but what's the final verdict? A jury, after hearing all the evidence, must give a final verdict. So what's the final verdict in God's case about sex? Well, God's final verdict is that His wisdom in His Word and in Christ gives you full freedom and joy. If you diligently follow the way of God in this area of sex and intimacy and marriage, God says, I will give you a lasting joy and fullness. I will give you a solid purpose and meaning. You will become wise and you will be able to pass on that wisdom to your children and your grandchildren and others who will wonder, Where do you get your integrity from? Brothers and sisters, if we follow God's wisdom regarding sex, as in every other area, it will fill us with life, with honor, and with joy, and we will be able to stand and say, Hallelujah, God is good. But on the other hand, the final verdict of the imposter's alluring lies brings what? Look at verse 4. It brings bitterness to your soul. Because if you listen to the voice of the imposter, if you follow her on your screen, if you follow her into her bed, it will lead, verse 5, to suffering, death, and hell. It will lead, verse 6, into a clueless life. It results in a wasted, ruined life full of regrets, verses 9 to 14. In fact, it will make you a hollow man. Not a holy man, but a hollow man. It will strip you of your manliness. It will shred your glory as an image bearer of God. And so men, when you're faced with temptation, what will you do? The way of God's wisdom is hard, but it leads to life and joy and honor and integrity. The way of the imposter's alluring lies is easy but it leads to death and shame. So who will you listen to? Who have you been listening to? If you've been listening to the imposter's lies, and too many of us as men have done that, you may be feeling shamed and guilty at this point. But I have good news for you. God is giving you an opportunity this morning to start afresh. God loves to wipe the slate clean. He loves to take our guilty conscience and purify it. If we will repent and we will say, Lord, I have messed up. 
I have sinned against you. I've sinned against my wife. I've sinned against the Holy Spirit. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, forgive me. Even as we go through the service and we ask God for forgiveness and repentance and we come to his table, there is a new beginning again. And he's telling you, will you this morning turn from the imposter's lies? Will you flee from your addiction to pornography? God is challenging each of us to stop sleeping with people who are imposters, whether that be actual or in our minds. You know, there's a, a greater movement over the last few decades, even among Christians who aren't married. They're boyfriend, girlfriend, they're engaged, we love each other, and they start sleeping together. The Bible says that's fornication. Flee from it. Flee from pornography. Flee from flirting with other people, unless it's your spouse. You're allowed to do that. Do you remember what God says in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20? 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Flee, run from sexual immorality. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? What? This body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine entering the temple in the Old Testament, the Holy of Holies? God says, I dwell in you. And therefore, put off all sexual immorality in the body. Glorify God. Why? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Let's move to the second question, and each question will have a shorter answer, in case you're wondering. The second question is, who will satisfy you sexually? Boy, is this where the sermon gets to be PG-13? I don't know, but verses 15 to 23 deal with the issue, who will satisfy you sexually? Two possible answers. Either an imposter woman will try to satisfy you, or if you're married, it will be your intoxicating wife. Are you looking at your wife as, she's not the one who gets you drunk, but I love it. The Bible is the word, the Bible is the place that says, be intoxicated with her love. Isn't that great? They say Christians don't have any fun. We're Victorian prudes. No. We're the ones who can enjoy sex even more than anyone else in the right context because we understand it's the gift of God. Now, we already know from verses 1 to 14 that the imposter woman can't really satisfy you. Why? Because she is a taker and never a giver. You can't enter into a covenant companionship relationship with an imposter. It won't work. Her ways lead to death and hell. She will consume your body and torture your soul, the Word says. And so no wonder the Bible tells us to flee from that woman. In fact, God's Word teaches us, I want to be real clear, that all pornography, all adultery, all fornication... All sexual intimacy outside the sacred marriage covenant between a man and a woman is sex with an imposter. Do you want to have sex with an imposter? I don't think so. And to seek satisfaction from an imposter always, verses 20 to 23, leads to being ensnared and it leads to death. 
So where does that leave the husband? Obviously, you're not going to be satisfied with the imposter. It leaves him with an intoxicating wife. And there are two truths about that. First, it means husbands or husbands-to-be that your wife is a precious gift from God given to you among many, many other things to satisfy you sexually. And second, husbands, you need to care for your wife accordingly. Verses 15 through 19. So two sides to this. One, there is God's gift to you of sex within marriage, and there is your responsibility, men, to care for this precious gift He's given you. A husband can't take his wife for granted, and that includes in the area of sexual intimacy. Now, Proverbs is written in the Middle East, as the Bible is, and Lynn and I had the opportunity to live and minister for four years in the Middle East. Now, here, you just turn on the faucet, you can water your garden, you can wash your car. In the Middle East, water is a very precious commodity. There are times I almost died from lack of water one time climbing Mount Sinai, and I almost ran out of water. And so when you find an oasis, when you find a spring, it is green and everything else is sandy. It is a precious place, and you treasure this. And so keep that in mind as we talk about how God refers to sex, and He uses the imageries of a cistern and a fountain, and a spring. And so first he says, your wife is a cistern to care for. I don't know if any of you have cisterns. Although some of you maybe have a runoff from your roof and it collects in a rain barrel and you use it to water the garden at other times. Well, in the Middle East, it only rains in the wintertime. And so during the winter, you collect water off the roof and even your courtyard and there's an underground water tank called a cistern. And that's where it's stored. And so as the weather gets hot, you can draw from that water source. But what happens, men, if you let that cistern get old and cracked and it starts falling apart? Guess what? When things get hot in May and you say, oh, we'll get water from the cistern, it's all leaked out. Right? Jeremiah tells us about broken cisterns that can't hold water. And so, husbands, God says, your wife is like a cistern that will satisfy you. But if you don't take care of your wife, she's going to be leaky. She's going to be losing all that water that's supposed to satisfy you. And so, husbands, we are told Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. If you want your wife, and I hope you do, to intoxicate you with her love, then you also need to take care of her. How? Number one, do you pray for your wife? Do you pray for your wife daily? Do you pray with your wife do you lead her, perhaps in family devotions, and maybe you've got a few kids and dinner time is crazy, but maybe before you fall asleep at night, do you have a little time in God's Word? Do you hold hands and pray together? 
Do you live with her with understanding, as 1 Peter 3 says? You know, your wife's going through a lot of different things, you know? She's met, you marry her, and then, she, then now she's pregnant, and now she's nursing, and then this and that. And the guys, right, we're clueless, you know? I, I, it's not the woman I married. That's why he says, live with your wife with understanding. You know, read her mind. Pick up on a few clues. Ask. And, you know, but again, all this is saying, God has given me a wonderful wife, and I always embarrass my wife in these times, but God has given me a wonderful wife for 48 plus years, and I've been clueless many times, but I keep coming back, and God humbles me and saying, I need to care for this cistern so that we can have a satisfying relationship. Would you model Jesus to your wife? And then he says, your wife is a fountain that you need to be faithful to. Your wife is a fountain that you need to be faithful to. Verses 16 to 20. A fountain, a spring that just keeps on going. Keeps on going. But again, husband, you have no excuse to look anywhere else for sexual satisfaction, not not your screen, not the woman in the cubicle next to you, not someone who's giving you flattering words. Your wife is that fountain. Your wife is that spring. But perhaps you have neglected her. And God says, I'm calling you, husband, to love your wife sacrificially, to be faithful to her, to model Jesus to her. In fact, if we go to the end of Proverbs, you're familiar, right? Proverbs 31, that precious wife. And each of us, if you are a husband or you will be a husband someday, when you see something in your wife that you don't like, the temptation is to say, hmm, I hope she changes. And God says, <clears throat> I'm using you to work in her. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5, help her to be spotless and holy and precious. It's your responsibility, husband, to pray for your wife, to model Jesus to her so that she can be blossoming as a Proverbs 31 wife and as a fountain and as a lovely dear to you. Let's circle back to our opening scene where the father is walking with his son. And he's talking to him about the gift, God's gift of marriage and God's wisdom. And imagine it's a hot day and they didn't bring any water with them because they thought there'd be water on the way. And the son sees a pond and he says, Dad, there's water, let's drink it. And the dad says, no, son, there's parasites in that pond. If you drink it, you'll get sick. And the son is like, it looks good. No, don't. Okay, so they walk further, and the son is really thirsty now, and he sees a stream, and he's about to cup the water and drink it, and dad says, no, don't do that. There's fertilizer and pollution upstream from other places, and if you drink that, it will make you sick. Dad, it looks good. No, it's dangerous for you. Okay. And they walk further, and finally they come to an area, a little rocky outcrop, 
and there is a bubbling spring of water. And then the father says, son, drink to your heart's delight. And the son drinks it, and he goes, dad, this is the best water I've ever had. Why? He's been thirsty. He's avoided the waters that were polluted and harmful, and he's trusted the Father's wisdom for a place where there will be satisfaction and joy. But you know what? The Bible is so good. The Bible says, you know what? A lot of things I'm talking about are invisible and eternal, and you can't see them. So let me start with what you know. You all get thirsty. And right now, if you forgot to bring a water bottle, you're saying, stop it. I'm just getting thirstier thinking about it. I'm almost finished. Don't worry. And we know that the antidote for being thirsty is drink water. In the Middle East, I remember walking outside, and I went into a Christian bookstore, and the owner gave me a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. I really understood what that meant at that point. Give me another one. How good of God. He creates a thirst, a physical thirst, and then he, here's what you do. Good, clean, pure water. And he says, you know what? Sexual intimacy is like that. Each of us have a thirst, a desire. It can be satisfied, but not with the polluted water or the parasites, not by the imposter. It can be satisfied only by this marriage covenant, one man, one woman, in the sacred bonds of marriage. And then God says, but that's not all. And this is where everybody comes in. God says, all of that is a greater picture of the spiritual thirst that I've created in you. That God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled by Christ. And so people are thirsting, and they're drinking the Kool-Aid of the world. And God says, I've created a soul thirst in you that can only be satisfied by knowing my Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. So we go from physical thirst, sexual thirst, to spiritual and eternal thirst, but the principles are the same. And that leads us to the final question, who will satisfy your deepest longings? Who will satisfy your deepest longings? We've seen that Satan can't do that, that the adulterous woman can't do that, that pornography can't do this, because they're imposters. I'm not a fisherman, but I've seen people fishing. (laughs) And it's said of Satan that when Satan fishes for your soul, he shows you the bait, but he hides the hook. Right? That's what we do in fishing. There's the bait, whether it's a juicy worm or whatever it is, and the fish says, it looks good. But underneath is the hook. Satan shows you the bait in success, accomplishments, comfort, all these areas, but he hides the deadly hook. He wants to hook your soul. But Christ created us and redeemed us to be our ultimate and eternal joy. Sexual intimacy in the covenant bond of marriage between one man and one woman is this amazing gift from God. And there is probably no pleasure so intense or enjoyable which God created under heaven. And yet, though the gift of sex is amazing, 
we shouldn't live for it, and we can live without it. We shouldn't live for it. We can live without it. God calls some people to singleness. There are other physical factors that go on. Let's remember that the world says, if you are satisfied sexually, that's all you need. And God says, that's a lie. It's never going to fill you. It's never going to satisfy you. It is only a foretaste of my greater pleasures. And so I leave you with four thoughts, four final applications. One, if you are married, be thankful to God for your spouse that hopefully you can enjoy one another. Praise God that in His wisdom He has designed our bodies to have such pleasure. And this may seem strange, but you know, we're supposed to glorify God in everything we do. And I, it's so great that God says, in the sexual intimacy of marriage, you can not only say, that's amazing, but you can say, hallelujah, isn't God amazing that He designed our bodies this way? In other words, there can be a worship service on the marriage bed, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Praise God that, again, it's not like, okay, we're going to church on Sunday, but, you know, what we do here, that's sort of, God hope there's a curtain or whatever. God says, no, I've made it so that you understand my wisdom and my glory and who I am. Second, remember that such brief yet intense sexual pleasure points us to a greater and eternal pleasure and joy that we will experience in heaven. The brief and intense pleasure of sexual intimacy in this earth points us to a much greater and eternal joy and satisfaction that we will have. Brothers and sisters, earthly pleasures are just little hors d'oeuvres before the banquet. Sexual intimacy and the pleasure there are but hors d'oeuvres that are served. And you know, you could eat a lot of hors d'oeuvres, but you say, not too many, I'm saving it for the main course. And God says, Every pleasure you've experienced on earth is but an hors d'oeuvre, a taste of this heavenly banquet that you will enjoy. Praise God for that. And each of you, men or women, married or single, each of us in Christ will be part of his beautiful bride that he will lavish his love upon in heaven. Third, G.K. Chesterton said famously, the man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. The man who is searching for pornography is looking for God. In other words, if you've been seeking satisfaction and excitement outside of marriage in other ways, what you really want and need can be found only in a living relationship with the God who created you with Christ who died for you and gave you life. People's desperate addictions are a sign that they need, they're looking for something else and it can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Remember that as we share the gospel with people. And lastly, maybe there's some here this morning who feel like you really have messed up sexually. Maybe currently you're doing things that bring shame, 
or maybe you have a past history and you feel, God, how can I come to your table this morning? How can you accept me in light of how I've messed up and how I've distorted the gift of sex? And I just want to remind you that in the Old Testament, there's this wife who really messed up in her marriage. And she made herself sexually available to every other man and denied her husband. And she actually became a prostitute. And God says to her husband who loved her, go and buy her from her pimp. Pay money and buy your wife back so you can release her from the sexual slavery she's in. And he does that and he loves her. And then he says, that's a picture of my love for you. Each of us have gone astray. And of course, that's the story of Hosea and Gomer, chapters 1, 2, and 3. My friends, my brothers and sisters, God says, it doesn't matter how much you've messed up in the past or what you've messed up right now. I sent my son to redeem you, to die, to buy you back, and you are mine, and I love you, and I've given you a clean start in the precious forgiving blood of Jesus Christ who died in your place. I'd love to talk with any of you about these things, maybe after the service, maybe a call this week, maybe a text. Trevor's going to come now and pray for us. Father God, we do thank you for this world that you've designed and created. We know and believe that you made it good, um, including sex and intimacy and marriage. We thank you uh, for your plan, that it is good, and we pray that you would help us to uh, search for it and find it in the right places. We find so many voices and temptations in this world that seek to pull us astray. They're so easy to... Uh, go the wrong way. We pray that you would help us to put in the effort to seek uh, your will and your path. Um, help us to remember that the end of choosing the wrong thing is death, and um, I just pray that you would help us to uh, seek life and seek your will for us. I pray that you would help us to seek the genuine and not to seek the imposter. We thank you um, that there is good, and we pray that you would help us to search for that. Help us to remember that our true and ultimate pleasure is in you, and that all these things are just a foretaste of what is to come. In Jesus' name. <laughs>